Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us oil for our lamps of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. With time running out, at least as far as the season of Pentecost goes, we need to channel our inner epiphany. That season right after Christmas where we celebrate the Magi arriving from the east because they saw this magnificent celestial event that shone a bright light into a very dark world. Some things never change. Let's face it, we could use a little light. We're kind of in a dark world right now. And most of us know a few people who really need some light because their lamps are running low on oil or their um, battery light is flashing if we want to be all 21st century about this. A few weeks ago when we baptized little Luca, we handed his mom a candle and we said, you know, Psalm 51 reminds us that we were born children of darkness without the light of God within us. When Jesus came into the world, he brought the light of God with him. When he went back to heaven, instead of taking the light with him, well, he left it behind, and he said, now you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine. And so it is not just with little Luca, but also all of us. We don't create the light. We just reflect it. And to be honest, since some of us haven't been polished for a little while, we don't reflect Jesus nearly as well as we could or should. Good thing we're saved by grace through faith, and it's a good thing that God isn't finished with us yet. In order to fully get what Jesus is saying in our parable, we have to remember the gospel from last week. You know Matthew, the fifth chapter, the Beatitudes? Uh, chapter 5 says, you are the light of the world. Uh, do you see how all this fits together? In other words, it wasn't just the blesseds, but, but also that you're the light of the world. Now, there's no better text to remind us that we're God's unique and unreproducible miracles than when Jesus starts out, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We all want to shine our best for Jesus, but there are things in this world that try to extinguish our faith or cover us with rubbish so no light reflects, and everyone around us, not only us, is left in the dark. If you not only read Matthew's gospel, but do a little research on Matthew himself, the author. Well, he was a tax collector. And the kind of friends he had, the Bible says sinners and other tax collectors. And who he was writing to, Jews who were trying to connect Jesus with the Old Testament. And what was going on around 65 AD when it was written, uh, persecution outside coming into the church and schisms within the church threatening to devour it. You start to see why he wrote what he wrote. The church has been around now for a little over 30 years and it still hasn't been easy. Questions about how Gentiles become Christians, how Jews become Christians, what you can throw out and what you have to keep, who Jesus is, and who has to take care of the widows and the orphans were just a few of the challenges. And while those questions should have been easy to answer, well, we always tend to make things harder than they need to be. So we're into the third generation of Christians. That's what Paul notes to Timothy when he says, clearly recalling your sincere faith, it first lived in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced lives in you also. The persecution of the church by the Romans and the Jewish leaders is intensifying. And uh, Emperor Caligula, among others, he used Christians who refused to renounce Jesus as human torches and as bait for his pet lions. There was extreme debate, by the way, during this time as to whether or not someone who renounced their faith out of fear of being persecuted or put to death could be allowed back into the church. I mean, these were the things that they were talking about. They were challenging times. 
just as the times that we're living in are also challenging. While St. John hasn't written the book of Revelation yet, that doesn't mean believers didn't know how things were going to turn out. Uh, Jesus told a lot of parables about the end times, and the Old Testament is filled with passages about the lion laying down and eating with the lamb instead of eating the lamb, and little children playing with deadly vipers without mom worrying about it, and the tools of war being turned into farming tools so that no one is ever hungry again. It's one thing to know what's going on. It's quite another to know when it's going to happen. You see, Matthew's audience was wondering, is this all going to take place in a few weeks, a few years, or are we going to have to wait thousands of years? My dad traveled a couple of million miles in his truck. And when it was school break and I got to jump in the cab with him and go wherever he was going, I would always ask him, how far is it? When are we going to get there? That typical you know, question of a little kid. Now, my dad was a master of the road before GPS was invented. All he had was AAA maps. And he would say, look for mile marker 435. Now, if we were staying in the state of Colorado and on the same road, that was really easy. I either counted up or down until we hit 435, and voila, we were there. Now, if we were traveling to a different state, especially, by the way, if there was another state between us and the state we were going to, or if we were going to be switching highways, oftentimes I would say, yes, we're at 430. And my dad would say, oh, wrong 430. You got to go here, here, and then we'll get on the highway that goes to where the mile marker is going to be, 435. And pretty soon I would just give up and watch for roadrunners and coyotes and blue-roofed Stuckey's restaurants where I would always hope that I could talk my dad into pulling off to get a pecan roll. Now, Jesus knows that we are not only very forgetful, but we are also easily distracted and bored. And like the Go Hawaii pilots a few years ago who fell asleep and went 26 miles past Hilo, which was the airport they were supposed to land at, before waking up and turning around and coming back, we need to learn to stay awake so that we don't miss our destination and so Jesus tells another of his famous parables, this one about bridesmaids who are waiting for the official party to arrive so that they can light the path to the ceremony. Have you ever had a prodigal in your life? One that you were so worried about you lost sleep, you lost weight, you lost your mind? When there is nothing you can do except believe in God and believe in them and pray, they come around, it's painful. I mean, Proverbs 22 says, train up a child in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Solomon reminds us that there is only so much we can do with our parents, our children, our family, our neighbors, even our world. We don't step back with just our fingers crossed. We do everything we can to set them up for success with faith, believing for them and in them. And we never stop praying. In this parable, though, Jesus is reminding everyone that there are things that are eternally important and we need to keep them always before us, even with all the stuff that's happening in our life. It's easy to get bored and distracted, but he says we always need to be ready. Jesus also makes sure that everyone knows he gave them everything they needed and everyone they needed. If they will just look around with more than their eyes, they need to look with their soul. Like a coach in the locker room before the big game, he's reminding us we have the training, the skills, and the talent to do what needs to be done. The only thing left to do is live it out, which, of course, is the hard part, which is why it's important that we stick close to Jesus. Ever notice that on some Sundays, one candle is burning a lot brighter than the rest of them? 
where one candle looks like it's almost going to go out. About 25 years ago, we switched to oil candles. Now, wax candles were really easy to know when they needed to be replaced. When there was nothing left of them because all the wax was on the floor, it was time to replace them. Oil candles not only need to be refilled, but if you don't trim the wicks, they burn a lot more oil and they can run out a lot faster. Or if the acolyte gets a little overzealous and smashes the wick down, well, the wick is only this tall and it can barely burn. We always need to make sure we have at least two bottles of oil to fill the candles. However, during Holy Week and Christmas week, we need five bottles of oil. And just so you know, it takes a week for the oil to get here. So in other words, we need to be thinking long before Holy Week or Christmas week to make sure that we don't run out of oil. Because even if the, the wicks are trimmed properly, if there's no oil inside, there is no light. Now, we don't leave the candles burning all week. The fire department would not be happy with us if we did. And we know about how long each candle burns based on how tall they are, how skinny they are, and how fat the reservoir inside them is. So we just need to make sure the candles are filled for all the worship services. This is different than in our homes, cars, and offices where we just flip a switch and we never worry about running out of electricity unless there's a power failure. See, we can turn on as many lights as we want, knowing that there's always an endless, well, an endless amount of electricity. It also means we're making eco a lot richer. During COVID, though, this, this might help explain what Jesus was trying to get across. You see, we were holding movie nights in the parking lot. We put up a big screen and people would have to park their cars one space apart because that was the law. And they would watch the movie on the screen and they would listen to the sound on their radios. But some people, by the way, kind of left lights or other things going. And so at the end of the movie, if they weren't careful when they turned their ignition switch, the only thing they would hear is brrrr. And unless they happened to have either um, jumper cables or one of those little fancy things, they were going to have to wait a couple hours before AAA could show up and give them a jump so they could go home. You see, Jesus' challenge is about living the life of a believer over the long haul. For us as a faith community, we don't know when he's coming back. So we always need to be ready. I know there are people on YouTube right now that have given the exact day and time and hour. The Bible says even they don't know, only the Father. Granted, we could guess every second of every minute from now until eternity, and one of us would be right. But the truth of the matter is, it's not about knowing, it's just about being ready. Our life is going to be lived in the good and the bad, the hard and the fun, the slow and the fast. I mean, how many of us wished 2020 away because of the pandemic, saying just, just, we just want to get to 2021 as though magically everything was going to be perfect again. But the truth of the matter is, you know, how many of us said the same thing about 2019 as we were looking forward to 2020? If you want to know what it means to be ready, that's where we go back to Matthew 5 and those Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, the merciful, those who mourn, the pure in heart, the persecuted, the peacemakers, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And before we start arguing, because we thought this whole believing thing should be a lot easier, we need to look at Jesus on the cross, vulnerable, sacrificing, loving, forgiving, caring, bleeding, dying. But he was still blazing a light in the darkest moment. We actually learn a lot more from watching Jesus live than we do reading the Gospels. Because it's one thing to say something. It's another thing to live it out, and that's what Jesus did. 
If we spend time in the text looking for things that provide clues, we note the number of bridesmaids tells us that this wedding was a big deal, probably the son of the king. The bridesmaids aren't just sisters of the bride and groom and a few high school or college friends. We know that because at the end when the five foolish bridesmaids show up and the groom sims them away and says, I never knew you, and no bridegroom would do that if he wanted the wedding night to go well if they were friends of his bride. If you watch TV or movies, listen to music, there are an awful lot of people who wear crosses around their necks or in their ears. Politicians who say, God bless America. And snake oil salesmen who promise blessing after blessing if you'll just send your sacrificial gift to them. Each time a big star falls from grace, many note that God has restored them and they are healed and ready to get back to everything that they were before and everyone trusts them. How many of them are actually true believers? Only God knows. See, the truth is, for all of us, Jesus is an on and off friend for much of our life. We never stop being a Christian, but there are moments and times in our life where we just put Jesus on the shelf. We, you know, well, we're just getting by because we're too busy or there's something we don't want him to know about. And there's always that promise that once we get through those moments, we're going to bring Jesus back full strength into our life and we're going to be fully and totally dedicated Yeah, during such times, we don't often check how much oil is left in the lamp. The great struggle of the Christian life is to reach up to our forehead where the pastor made the sign of the cross and maybe rub our ears a little bit where we might be able to remember the pastor saying, Child of God, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. And remember that God's name was placed upon us that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are forever thanks to Jesus. You see, and once we remember that that is enough, it frees us to live in such a way that we keep enough oil so our light can shine whenever God wants it to shine without fear of our hearts and souls growing dark. We don't just light the candle so we can see. God has us light the candle so those around us can see as well. We are to light the path for the prodigals and the lost and the hurting and the lonely so they can find their way home. We may not be able to do anything else, but we trust even by just standing there with the lamp in our hands and the light blazing for those who are looking for the way home, they can find it. There will be times when our light is dim and others where the howling darkness is blowing so fiercely that we can barely keep our lamp lit. And there is no shame in that. Each of us goes through the darkness of the soul. And to pretend that we don't, or to try to put up a facade of puppy dogs and ice cream that everything's okay, is not only a lie, but it's also an insult to a loving and a saving God. The church does not offer a cure or a quick fix for all the problems that face us or our world. There are no magic pills or potions or tidy little prayers that not only take away the sin, but also the shame and the guilt and any consequences. No, the church offers death and resurrection, repentance and forgiveness, because that is what Jesus gave us to offer the world. We offer a messy, inconvenient, gut-wrenching, never-ending work of healing and reconciliation that can only happen through grace and mercy, through the cross and the empty tomb. Our faith is founded on a man who suffered and died to take away our sin. And if you read the rest of Matthew and know anything about the crucifixion, you know that even though it was his own son, God didn't sugarcoat it or make the crucifixion easy for Jesus because that is what it takes to truly heal what ails us. 
We have to die to sin and die to death and die to all the things that would take us away from the light and leave us in darkness. And since we could not do that, Jesus does it for us. And now by faith we receive that which shouldn't be ours, but by grace is. We have the light of the world. There is much to endure in this time of waiting. Jesus raises his eyes and points to the cross. And as he does, we follow his finger and his eyes and we see it looming before us. But it is no longer as dark and scary as it was for those who Jesus first told this parable to. Because even though they knew all of the Old Testament prophecies, their hearts and souls were still burdened by the worries and the pains of that day, let alone the day that Jesus would die. For us, the cross reflects the light of grace and forgiveness that radiates from the empty tomb. God brings life and healing out of suffering and death. What it all comes down to is this. You will rarely have so much oil that you aren't worried about your lamp going out. But Jesus promises if you stay close to him, you will always have just enough. Just enough. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm.